test, 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 testing, test, testing, test,
Good morning. Welcome to Northminster Church this morning. I'm so glad to see all of you today. Sunday after Easter tends to be a low attendance Sunday, so you all get a gold star for being here. Whether you are a longtime member or a friend or you're visiting for the first time, we are honored by your presence. Thank you for being here. If you are visiting with us and this is your first time, um, we take communion every Sunday. And if you would like to participate, we would love to have you participate. There are instructions on the insert to your order to worship. So if you have questions, you can read that or just follow the people who are in front of you. They will show you how we do that here. Several announcements for you this morning. Um, the first is you will notice our gorgeous flowers uh, that the flower committee did for us. These have been dedicated by the RO family and I checked uh, and was told they are free to be taken after the service. So do please take those as a way uh, of brightening your day or someone else's. Um, they are especially beautiful and we are thankful to the ROs for that dedication and just that you're here. We're so glad you're here. Also, as you uh, look at your order of worship, a couple of things. Um, the first is this yellow sheet that you all have. If you would fill this out for me, I would really appreciate it. The staff would really appreciate it. This helps me and the rest of the staff as we plan for the summer. Um, you can read that for yourself when you get the chance. You don't necessarily have to do it today. You're going to see these for several weeks. Um, but I would really, really encourage you to fill that out for me. Um, kids, go ahead and come down for the children's message like you normally do. And then when we get to our last hymn, you will notice on the back of your order of worship, number 528, this is a new to us hymn. So the choir is going to help us out by singing the first verse for us so we can all hear it. And then Debbie will turn, face the congregation, and we will then sing verses 1 and 2 congregationally. So they're going to help us out learn this new hymn. Also, Debbie asked me to announce that tomorrow night, um, several of our choral scholars will be singing because the chamber singers uh, from the university have a concert in the Biedenharn Recital Hall, 7.30 p.m. So if you uh, are a fan of that sort of music or want to go support our scholars, do make plans to go. The concert is free, Debbie? Yes. yes. Also, I wrote about uh, our garden in the newsletter this week um, and just wanted to repeat, if any of you are gardening fans or want to become a gardening fan, like to dig in the dirt, whatever, please come talk to me. Um, we have a beautiful garden out back that has not been used in a few years, and I miss digging in the dirt um, and would love to have some company. So let's talk and uh, get that garden up and running again. Okay, I think that is everything, at least everything important. All right, let's take a deep breath together, my friends. We do this to settle ourselves into this time that we have together. We do this because it's good practice, because there are not a lot of times in our daily lives where we stop and we breathe and we make sure we are focused on our bodies, on our surroundings, on the people around us. So take a deep breath. Allow that breath to not just fill up your lungs, but let it go all the way down to your toes. As you breathe out, let it calm your mind. Let it quiet your heart. Breathe in again. As you breathe out, breathe out your to-do list. Without the laundry that's not done, the dishes that are in the sink, they will still be there when church is over. 
Breathe in again one more time. Know that you are loved by God just as you are. And then please join me in our call to worship. Sing praises to God, you faithful. Give thanks to the Holy One. You turn our weeping to dancing, God. You remove our garments of mourning and clothe us in gladness.
young friends, how are we today? Good, everybody good? So I want to ask you a question. Do you have rules at your house about things you're allowed to do and things you're not allowed to do? Yeah. Are there times that your parents want you to be like extra careful with something? Yeah. Are there times that you worry that you might get in trouble? Yeah. Have you all ever gotten in trouble before? Yeah. Yeah, all of us have at some point. And are there times that you're really, really, really worried and it's not that bad? Has that ever happened? Yeah? Do you think, oh my gosh, my parents are going to be so upset at me, and then they really aren't that upset? Has that ever happened? Okay. So that's kind of what goes on in the story we're going to hear in a little bit. There's a guy named Peter. He was a friend of Jesus. And Peter grew up with rules about what he could and could not eat. All the Jewish people did. And actually, Jewish people still have rules if they follow them about what they can and cannot eat. And Peter was very dedicated to those rules. It means he took them really seriously. And then he had this experience, and God came to him and basically said, you don't need to worry about those rules. It's okay. You can eat what you want. And Peter said, no, 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 I know the rules. These are the rules we've been told. I don't want to upset you. He's talking to God, right? And he said, you told us we can't do these things. We can't eat these things. And God says, no, I'm telling you it's okay. You've tried really, really hard. You've worked really hard. You've worked to keep these rules. And now I'm telling you it's okay. So it's kind of like when you're, you're really worried about something, maybe you broke something, or you drop something, or you made a mess, and you're really worried what your parents are going to say, and they come to you and go, okay, yeah, you made a mess, but it's okay. Or you do your best to clean it up, and maybe it's not perfect, and they say, I can tell that you tried. That's basically what happens to Peter. His, parents, his parent, who is God, says, I can tell that you tried. And that's what's really, really important. Do you have a question? Good for you. I'm sure your parents appreciate that. We should all do that. And even grown-ups don't do that so well sometimes. So what I want you to hear from this story is, for God, it's not about us being perfect. Are any of you perfect? Nope. Are you perfect? Okay. (laughs) You can be our only one. Because the rest of us aren't. God doesn't expect you to be perfect. God doesn't expect you to be able to fix everything you break or clean up every mess. What God expects is that we try. When we make a mess, we try to clean it up. When we hurt somebody's feelings, we apologize. When we upset our parents, we do our best to not do that anymore and then do what they're telling us. So I want you to remember that this week. It's not about being perfect It's about trying and trying to be your best. Does that make sense? Okay, now here's what we're going to do. You all know, most of you know this, but let's model for our new friends. I want you to turn around and face the congregation. We're going to say our prayer. It's okay. We do this every week. It's okay. Can you turn all the way around? Good job. And here's what we're going to do. I will say the first line of the prayer, and then you say it back to me nice and loud, and adults, you're welcome to join in. I see the face of God in you. The love of Christ comes shining through. The love of Christ comes shining through. And I am blessed to be with you. And I am blessed to be with you. 
blessed to be with you. O holy child of God. O holy child of God. Amen. You can go back to your seats now. Thank you. From the Gospel according to Matthew. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but they doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Gospel of our Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. pray together. You are with us always, risen Christ, and we are grateful for your presence walking alongside us as we seek your way. As we celebrate your resurrection, we give thanks for your life among us and within us and pray that it would be revealed through us. We bless you for power made perfect in weakness, for authority rooted in self-giving, for love that conquers death. We offer our praise and our prayers too, for sometimes the state of the world makes it difficult to see your kingdom. And so we ask for your healing presence to be tangible among us. Bring wholeness and comfort and hope to those who suffer. We ask for your presence to be peaceful and for it to be real, bringing an end to violence and hate. We ask for your gracious presence to overcome our divisions, teaching us to treat one another with dignity and compassion. We ask for your joyful presence to be visible, shining light into the shadows. We ask for your challenging presence to be recognized, calling for justice and insisting on leaving the ways of empire behind. We ask for your hopeful presence to fill every place, empowering those who have been oppressed. We ask for your church to be so filled with your promised presence that we become a beacon of your blessing, drawing all people to you as we go about your business, fulfilling your purpose, loving, serving, and caring for the world, trusting your word and praying for obedient hearts and lives. We ask these things and all things in the power of your name, our risen Lord, Jesus the Christ, amen.
reading from Acts chapter 10. In Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian cohort, as it was called. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed constantly to God. One afternoon at about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he clearly saw an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, he stared at the angel in terror and said, what is it, Lord? The angel answered, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa for a certain Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had left, Cornelius called two of his workers and a devout soldier from the ranks of those who served him. And after telling them everything, he sent them to Joppa. About noon the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the heavens opened and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Then he heard a voice saying, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said to him again a second time, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times. And the thing was suddenly taken up to heaven. Now, while Peter was greatly puzzled about what to make of the vision that he had seen, suddenly the men sent by Cornelius appeared. They were asking for Simon's house and were standing by the gate. Then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality. But in every people, anyone who fears him and practices righteousness is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. A reminder that there's sometimes a difference between the right thing and what's right. Thanks be to God.
Let's pray together. <clears throat> oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. And may we hear a word from you today. Amen. Think for a moment about things that make you hesitant. Things that bring you up short or cause you to pause. I think I've told you before, I am hesitant about telling people what I do for a living, partly because as a woman, you never know what sort of reaction you're going to get. Uh, I'm also really hesitant when people say, hey, you're a pastor, you'll know the answer to this. <laughs> because without fail, what they want is a quick, tidy answer to what is usually a complex theological question or a church issue, like the person who recently asked me who my boss is. And when I responded, it's my entire congregation, they were very confused. And even with my kind of elevator pitch about Baptist polity, this is a Baptist church, if you didn't know that, uh, even with my elevator pitch about how Baptist polity, how the church structure works, they were so glassy-eyed about 30 seconds in, they did not process it. Maybe speaking in front of people makes you nervous. If you're more introverted, like I am, something like the church tradition of passing the peace might give you pause. I might make you do that one day, but if I do, just know I don't enjoy it either. Perhaps you're hesitant when it comes to new technology trying new foods, traveling to unfamiliar places. Maybe the things that pull you up short are a bit more personal, but no matter what causes you to pause, hesitation can be a good thing. Hesitation can keep us safe. Other times, hesitation can hold us back, keep us from trying new things, and ensure our safety at the expense of our learning. Distinctions function the same way. I think uh, Joanne Alley would agree that for a person having a heart attack, the distinction between a medical doctor and a PhD is pretty important. <laughs> Call me a snob, but I see a difference between someone whose mama says they're a really good preacher and someone who went to seminary and learned how to preach properly. Eric tells me that calling the sport soccer instead of football leaves Americans sounding more than a little bit silly. And I've learned, and we, well, when we lived in Pennsylvania, we both learned, there is a distinction in Pennsylvania with those Pennsylvania Dutch between what we all know as a pot pie and what they call a pot pie. I think I've mentioned this before. In central Pennsylvania, a pot pie is basically chicken and dumplings doesn't have a top on it, but they call it a pot pie, and they will fight you about it. <laughs> of course, other distinctions aren't so important, such as a friend of mine, uh, she saw a Facebook Marketplace ad recently. The listing was for a 20-foot boa constrictor. The owner labeled it as very friendly in all caps with three exclamation points. Like that made that snake more appealing. <laughs> Socks with sandals, fanny packs labeled as small crossbody bags, people who think seeing the movie replaces reading the book, those are distinctions that fail, that are so bad or so silly or so unsightly as to be meaningless, which, when we're honest, is the dark side of hesitation and making distinctions. Give humans enough time. 
and will find a comfortable fence to sit on or a way to justify why we're different from those people. And the church is no better than the rest of the world. And in fact, the church might be the worst and most ironic offender when it comes to telling people who's acceptable to God and who isn't. Of course, that message flies in the face of the gospel and this morning's story from the book of Acts. Now, a quick refresher about the book of Acts. Written at some point between the mid-60s and the mid-2nd century, we don't know exactly when, Luke and Acts were originally one very long book. It was chopped up later. Church tradition holds that the book's author is Luke, a sometimes companion to the Apostle Paul, but we don't know that for sure, and scholars dispute that fact. Acts is neither a gospel, a story of Jesus, a story of good news, or an epistle, which is a fancy church word for a letter. It holds a slightly other place in history because it tells the story of the formation of the early church after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. And as we'll see in today's story, a major theme in the book of Acts is Gentiles and how they fit into this new movement. And a Gentile is anyone who isn't Jewish in case you didn't know what that word meant. Today's story focuses on a meeting between Cornelius and Peter. Now, the narrative lectionary, the lectionary that I use every week, cuts out most of Cornelius and Peter's conversation. But the verses that were read for us gave us the overarching point of the passage and arguably the entire theme for the entire book of Acts. Starting in verse 1, we are introduced to Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God, which means he's a foreign military commander and what's often called a God-fearer in the New Testament, a Gentile sympathetic to Judaism who practices some aspects of Jewish piety, but is not a convert, okay? He practices some aspects of Jewish piety, but he is not a convert. During prayer, Cornelius has a vision of an angel telling him to send for Simon Peter, who is 35 miles away in a town called Joppa. Being a pious man, Cornelius does just that, and we're told the next day, while Cornelius' servants were on their way to him, that Peter has this most remarkable vision. While praying on top of the house on the rooftop, which was pretty normal, Peter gets hungry. As his meal is being prepared, he falls into a trance and sees a great sheet descending, lowered to the ground by its corners. A commentator I read this week mentioned that one of his students (laughs) dubbed this a meat blanket. So if that's helpful for you, you can use that imagery. uh, Because... This sheet, this meat blanket, if you uh, would like to use that terminology, is covered with every kind of animal. Now, Peter's a good Jew, so he is startled when he hears the voice of God say, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Because this meat blanket includes animals Peter knows to be unclean and therefore unavailable to him as a good Jew. So he responds to God, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Can you imagine talking back to God? The voice of God comes again, saying, What God made clean, do not call common. 
Now, we're told this back and forth happens about three times before the meat blanket is taken back up. Peter is perplexed by God declaring something clean that has always been impure in his community. But there really isn't time to ponder why God would give this instruction because at this moment, Cornelius' servants arrive. Again, the Spirit of God comes to Peter, this time saying, rise and go down, and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter obeys, going with the servants to Cornelius' house. Now, on the surface, this story is kind of an odd combination of things. It's not immediately clear how Cornelius' vision fits with Peter's vision. What does food have to do with people or Jesus? But there is a connection, and it goes back to the scriptures. Because in Leviticus 20, verses 20 through 26, God says to the Israelites, I am the Lord your God, who has separated you from the peoples. You shall therefore separate the clean beast from the unclean and the unclean bird from the clean. You shall not make for yourselves, un- you shall not make yourselves un detestable by beast or by bird or by anything with which the ground crawls, which I have set apart for you to hold unclean. You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. Now, what this text does is it explicitly associates the Israelites' distinction from non-Israelites and the distinction between clean and unclean foods, separating the Gentiles and the separation between clean and unclean foods. These things go together. So while this connection is subtle, it's understandable. And more importantly, it's deeply cultural because the same disposition that encourages pious Jews to separate themselves from Gentiles encourages the separation of clean and unclean foods. So Peter's vision makes it clear that only God gets to decide what's clean and unclean, common and uncommon. And in this passage, God is breaking down the categories of purity and cleanliness by which Peter has, up until this point, ordered his world. And it's not as though Peter is given time to process this change because he's told immediately, now go, get up, go down with them, and without hesitation, for I have sent them, being servants from Cornelius. Some translations use the word distinction here, and in the Greek, the phrase is medina diakarin. I practiced this, I promise. Medin diakarinomos, which can be translated as without hesitation. But the root of the word literally means to make a distinction between two alternatives. Recognizing this nuance, uh, a commentator notes that the primary connotation is for Peter to go without hesitation. But the sense of without discrimination is not far from the surface. I'm going to say that again. The primary connotation here is for Peter to go without hesitation. But the sense of without discrimination cannot be far from the surface. In other words, Peter doesn't make use of any handy excuse 
to get out of following God's command. It would have been pretty easy to say he can't meet Cornelius because the meal wouldn't be kosher. That as a good Jew, he isn't allowed to dine in places where unclean foods are being served. Remember, Cornelius is not a Jew. He could have respectfully but firmly demurred, but instead, Peter gets up and he goes. He meets with Cornelius, and their meeting leads to Revelation. Now, Camille read for us the standalone verses of 34 and 35, because as I alluded to earlier, they are the truth. They are the focus. They are the good news of the story. Peter says in those verses, I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears God and does what is right is acceptable to God. My friends, Peter's vision, as I said to the kids, it's not really about food or what one can eat or cannot eat. His vision is about people. Peter, or any of us, can no longer deem to call unclean or profane or unworthy of our community or unwelcome those whom God has made clean already. The partialities of the world don't matter, and in fact, God, through the person of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, has broken down those partialities. The walls that we build to keep others out don't matter. The labels we use to demean and put people in their place are wasted breath. The societal structures that give one group power at the expense of another only serve to break God's heart because each of us are God's beloved. Each of us, individually and corporately. End of story. No qualifications, no get-out clauses. Our God not only lays claim to us without hesitation or distinction, God lays claim to all people without hesitation or distinction. It doesn't matter if you want to be claimed. It doesn't matter if you never acknowledge that claiming. It doesn't matter if you tell God where to stick that claiming. (laughs) You are God's. So the question we must ask ourselves is who is God calling us to claim without distinction? Who is God calling us to love without distinction? Who is God waiting for us to stop seeing as clean or unclean or worthy and unworthy and simply see as beloved?
As we come to this time of Easter communion, we celebrate the risen Christ and embrace the grace which reaches from the tomb. We embrace faith by committing to love and action. On this day, we shout hallelujah, Christ is risen. It is through our neighbors and creation that we see the rising of Christ. We celebrate the shifting of seasons from one to the next. As the earth moves from winter to spring, it begins to drink in the warm rains, and creation comes alive again. And so in this spirit of brightness and life, we celebrate. We celebrate the risen Christ in our midst. We celebrate the table at which we can join together with friends and strangers, loved ones and enemies. Through this meal, which has stood the test of time, we covenant to love God. Through a simple meal of grain and grape, we, God's children, unite. This is not my table. This is not Northminster's table. This is Christ's table. We are the guest, and Christ is the host. And there is a seat here with your name on it. So kick off your walking shoes and make yourself comfortable. We are sitting, standing, on holy ground. All are wanted and all are welcomed here with our doubts, our shortcomings, our failures, our griefs. No matter what you bring with you to this table, you aren't just tolerated. You are overwhelmingly welcomed and wanted. Thanks be to God for a love like that. Now, if you would, please join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Because of his relentless pursuit of love, Jesus was seized by those in power. But before he was seized, Jesus introduced this meal to his followers. And even though Jesus knew the end was coming, he joined his friends at the table, sharing time and space with those he loved most. As the night lengthened, Jesus took a simple portion of bread. He blessed it, he broke it, and he shared it with the disciples, and he urged them, remember me. And then afterwards, Jesus took the cup. He blessed the wine, and during that blessing, Jesus reminded the disciples that he would go to the ends of the earth out of love for them. Today, we celebrate this earth-shaking love of Jesus, a love that sent him to the cross, a love that brought him out of the tomb, and a love that is with us eternally, encouraging us to live a resurrected life. Amen.
As a reminder, please let the choir exit before you do, just so we can make sure we don't run each other over. And then you are free to go. But first, hear this benediction. May God bless you with a distaste for superficial worship so that you will live deep within your soul. May God bless you with anger at prejudice so that you will work for justice. May God bless you with tears for those who sorrow so that you will offer comfort. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in the world. Go be salty. Amen. Thank you.